Oh, that's one way. <laughs> Welcome Brian from Branson. Brian is our campus pastor. Say hi to Branson. Uh, we actually, we had our leadership retreat yesterday, and we have a whole crew of about 11 down here from Branson. You guys here? Wave. They're here somewhere. Oh, back in the back over there. Well, uh, why did we just do that? <laughs> just to keep church interesting. See, you'll never, you'll never fall asleep in our church. You know, uh, most of us have seen The Wizard of Oz and that song that's kind of about that, but we've never really thought about the storyline. You know, Dorothy's dog, Toto, bit this nasty, mean neighbor, Mrs. Gulch, right? And, and now she wants to kill the dog. And, and toward, uh, Dorothy's uh, Uncle Henry and Aunt Em, they, at first they protect Toto, but then they realize Miss Gulch is going to sue them and take their farm, and they, they end up deciding to give Toto to her. And Dorothy feels betrayed. She, she feels so hurt, she grabs Toto and she runs away, but she ends up running in, right into the path of a tornado and onto this relational journey of redemption. Now, you know, in life, people hurt us. They betray us. They wrong us. But what do we do with those wrongs? And the truth is, some of us have been running from those hurts, running from that for a long, long time. And today, I believe that God wants to lead you on a relational journey of redemption. Today, we're talking about relational landmines and unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment and how that poisons all our other relationships. You know, when Kathy and I first got married, I will confess, I committed relational sins all the time. I was far from the perfect husband. Uh, I, would, I would get impatient and I would say hurtful things to her. You know, I would, I would do things like uh, do something wrong, but then in my pride, I'd be unwilling to apologize. Or, or I would see, you know, little specks of things that needed changing in her, but I wouldn't see the two by four log of things that needed to change in my own life. And I, I hurt her and she did things that, that hurt me as well. We hurt and wrong each other. So now you have to wonder, how, how have Kathy and I made it 28 years in marriage? 28 years. Well, I'm going to give you the secret. I'm going to give you the secret. Year three, I just stopped doing anything wrong relationally. I just haven't done anything wrong since then. Why are you laughing? You're laughing because it's ludicrous. You're laughing because in a world of imperfect people, we hurt and wrong each other regularly. The question is, what do we do when we're hurt, when we're wronged? You know, we all know what it's like to be sinned against, to have people hurt us, let us down, betray us, act unloving, uncaring, hurtful, spiteful, cheat us, be unfaithful to us, reject us, use us, control us, coerce us. I mean, I could go on and on with the adjectives, right? But we've all felt this. This is what keeps country western alive, right? This is what brought us the great country western lyrics of all times. Like, I bought the shoes that just walked out on me. <laughs> How can I miss you when you won't go away? Or, she got the ring and I got the finger. These are real country western songs, by the way. See, we've all gotten hurt, we've all been wrong because we all sin against God and each other. 
We all sin against God and each other. But what do we do when we've been wrong? Do we hold on to it or do we let go and forgive? That's what I want us to consider today because here's the thing. Nothing will blow up your current relationships more than holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness. Now, that's, that's kind of hard for some of us to swallow. Um, and I want to get really practical today. But here's what I want you to just consider. All of us want to be loving people, right? We all want to be loving, joyful people. We want relationships that give us life. We give life to them. But you've got to understand that unforgiveness and bitterness that stays hidden in our hearts will actually destroy the people we love the most. And so I want to make this really practical today. So here's what I want to do. Just, I want to ask you to just trust me and go along with me in this, all right? I want you to think of someone who has hurt you or has wounded you or wronged you, done something against you in the past, all right? And you got a card when you walked in. You should have gotten a card. There's, there are pins on the end of the row. Pass those down, okay? So I want to make this real practical. Otherwise, you're just sitting here wasting an hour. Why do that? right? Let's, let's make this practical. And I want you to think of who is that person, and right there in that first blank, write down the name of, of that person who hurt you or wronged you, and then the next blank, what was the issue? What happened? Now, some of you are saying, there's not, this card isn't big enough, right? <laughs> you know, I got a lot of names. All right, well, just start, all right? Begin with the top two, all right? The top two who most hurt you or wronged you, and, and what was that issue? And in particular, I'm thinking about those that there's, there's still something unresolved there. Now, some of you may be saying, I'm all good. Hey, I'll let it go. It's gone. Done. I, I have no bitterness at all. All right, well, just go with me. I encourage you to take the grocery store test. Okay, what's the grocery store test? The grocery store test is imagine yourself in the grocery store. And you're hauling the cart down the aisle, and you turn down an aisle, and there, way back at the end of the aisle is, and your first reaction is, quick, before they see you. Who's that? Now, write that name down. Okay? Or maybe your first reaction, you see them, and anger comes up. I mean, you want to start running at them with the cart, right? Okay? Who is that? And what's the issue? What? What is wrong, or how have you been wronged, or what is unresolved? Write that down. Maybe, uh, maybe for you, it's a current spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's years of tiny paper cut wounds like we talked about last week. That's okay. Just write down what you can. Or maybe it's much, much deeper. Maybe it's a relative or a friend who abused you. I mean, really did evil things to you. Maybe it's someone, a coworker, or someone who, who actually tried to sabotage your whole career and your life. Whatever it is, write it down because today I think you're going to find freedom if you'll actually do this. Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18, and we, we looked at the first part of that. We've looked at that before. Ted mentioned it a couple weeks ago. But the last part of Matthew 18 is all about hurts and wrongs and healthy forgiveness. It says this in Matthew 18, 21. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. All right, you got to understand, in that day, they had a three strikes, you're out rule, just like we do, right? Well, I'll give you three, and then you're done. 
and they have the same thing. So Peter said, he doubles it. Three times three is six. I'm going to add one. Look how great I am, Jesus. How about seven? And what does Jesus say? Multiply it by 70. Here's the point. Jesus is saying forgiveness must be a lifestyle. Because if you're going to be in close relationship with any human, you're going to sin against each other. Even when we don't mean to, we do. And if that person is sorry and admits their wrongs, we have to forgive and let it go. We can't have healthy relationships otherwise. Now, what though if they're not sorry? I mean, that's, that's what's probably going through your mind. What if, what if they don't admit they're wrong? What if they keep doing it over and over again? Then what? Well, interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, if they repent, then forgive. Instead, he tells a story. So I want us to dive into this story today. Jesus goes on, and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children so that everything uh, and everything he owed to pay the debt. All right, let's hit pause just a second. Um, in that day, this was justice. This was justice. So uh, you can't pay your, your debts to someone, then you became what was called a bond servant. All right, now this is not slavery like in our American past where, where people were captured and ripped away from their families and, and sold. This is debt, okay? This is debt. It's like you owe a debt. You got yourself into this, and, and the law back then was you have to work for that person you're indebted to until you pay it, but they can also sell you to get their money right away, and then you have to pay that debt off to whoever they, they sold you to as their bond servant, okay? In other words, you have to work for that master until you pay your debt. That was the law. That's justice. Actually, it's the same today. It's why we call it MasterCard. <laughs> right? So, this is debt. Now, here's what it goes on to say. Uh, because this is justice. You owe, so you pay. Okay, that's justice. You owe, you pay. Now, here's what Jesus says happens. The man, though, that owed millions fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. All right, pause again. So this guy owes millions of dollars. He begs, he begs for mercy. The master could have said, all right. First of all, he could have said, no, pay. You know, I want my money now. He doesn't do that. He could have said, I'll give you six more months. He doesn't do that. Instead, he frees him. He sets him free of all the debt. It's unbelievable. There's, there's no reason for it. It doesn't make any sense. He cancels millions of dollars of debt. And by the way, this is what God has done for you and me and every person that recognizes we owe him a debt. And this really is amazing grace. That's why we call it amazing grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But all who recognize that we've wronged God and our fellow man, we've tried to play God, we've tried to get people to do our will and God to do our will, and as a result, we 
commit treason against the king of the universe, and all of us have racked up huge millions and millions worth of debt we can never pay. Do you see that this is Jesus' point? Because if you don't see it, you won't get what I'm talking about today. It's such a crucial point because, see, friends, most of our unforgiveness, most of our bitterness comes from not seeing ourselves accurately from God's perspective. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. That, that's what he's actually trying to get us to think about. Okay? I think about, you know, what if God made a list of all my debts? <laughs> of all the times I broke his moral law. Of all the times I did my will instead of his. Of all the thoughts that have run through my head. All the mean things I thought or have actually said or done toward my sister. Or, or, or the times that, you know, I lashed out at my mother or disrespected and disobeyed my father or all the times that I stole from stores or I did hurtful things to people who, you know, really didn't deserve it at all or the times that I lusted or in anger I, I hurt another person. I mean, you know, all the, the drunkenness and the, the brawling and, and the slanderous gossiping things. You know, I'm not even out of middle school yet. This is just me getting, <laughs> I'm just getting going. All right, I'm gonna hit high school. And if I kept going, literally every selfish thought, you know, every bad motive, every rebellious act against God, millions I would owe. Now, see, we tend to think like this though. We tend to think, well, yeah, but you know, I'm a good person, I've done good things too. I mean, maybe they kind of weigh out. Maybe the good outweighs the bad. Right? That's, that's how we tend to think. But what you have to understand is that's not actually how justice works. Not in God's economy, but honestly not in ours. What if someone who abused you, I mean really abused you, said, yeah, I did, I abused you, but you know what? I also donated to charity, so I figure it washes. No, <laughs> no, that's not how it works, is it? You, know, you don't abuse me and donate to charity and it's all good. Not in our economy, not in God's economy. See, it's actually more like this. Think, think about every rotten deed, every, you know, every stinking thought, every evil, smelly motive as a rotten egg. And in the barrel of life, every time we did something like that, we would crack the rotten egg and put it in there. And think about the millions that add up over time. And then, yes, there are good Good things we do as well. And think about those as good eggs. And so you crack a good egg for every good deed. Question, how many good eggs do you have to put in there until it doesn't stink? Doesn't work that way, right? Because what actually happens is the stinking rotten eggs make the good eggs smell putrid. What we actually need is not to try to balance the good with the bad. What we need is someone to get rid of the smelly bad eggs so it doesn't make the good ones tainted. And that's what Jesus did for you and me and every human who admits their need. It says this in Colossians 2.13, you were dead spiritually because of your sins, because of your wrongs against God and others, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, was not done away with. Then God made you alive with Christ 
for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record, that long, long list. He nailed it to the cross with Jesus. He paid for his justice to be done. This is what we have to understand, you know, is that that God canceled that long list. He, He took all the smelly, rotten eggs out of the barrel, not because we deserved it, Justice would be that we pay our own debts, but God loves us so much, he decided to do something to pay those for us, to get rid of the stench so that the good can actually flourish and spread to other people so that evil doesn't keep winning. But what Jesus is saying is, if we've been forgiven so much, how can we not forgive others? So Jesus continues in his story. The king forgives this man millions and millions of debt, But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But the man, this creditor who was forgiven millions, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called the man in he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant like I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. Jesus says something pretty shocking, doesn't he? Now, I want us to understand what does that really mean? What does this really mean? That's what will happen to those who refuse to forgive when you've been forgiven. What does that mean? In order to understand, I want us to go back to the land of Oz. (laughs) Okay, because... Dorothy, on her journey, discovers some things she needs relationally that we need as well, that we need to. Dorothy meets the scarecrow who has no brain. But the reality is Dorothy needs to think all this through, and that's what we need as well. We need to think this through on this relational journey of redemption. We need a brain to think about unforgiveness and what it really does. It tortures us. It tortures us. You know, uh, I, I actually don't like the translation in the NIV here that I just read because it makes it sound like God is torturing us. That's not actually what it says. What it actually says is God turns us over and we are tormented. He turns us over to those who would torment us. Here's what it means. It means when we choose to hold unforgiveness and bitterness we are, we are demanding that we not go God's way of freedom, but that we stay connected to that act and we get tormented by it. It's not God torturing us. We are ending up tied to that act that will torture us. Now, we need to think this through because we want something that's good, all right? When, 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 when something evil is done to us, right? We want justice. So think, think about it like this. this I've, I've got this heavy weight here, okay? It's heavy. I can't lift. I can kind of lift it, but not really. All right, we got this heavy weight. Imagine that's that evil act done to you or that wrong or that series of wrongs. And what we want 
is we want justice. We say, well, I, I, I want them to know how much they hurt me. I want, them to for, I want them to ask for forgiveness, beg for forgiveness is what we really want, right? I want them to see how I feel. And that's not all bad. Justice is not all bad, okay? But here's the problem, is that many times in life, people don't admit it. They get away with it. They get away with murder. They do horrible things. And in this life, many times there is not justice. And so when they, when they won't, then we want to say, all right, then I'm not going to let you off so easily. I'm going to hold on to this until you pay, right? I'm going I'm to hold on to this because I want you to know what you did is wrong. I want justice. I want you to pay. I want vengeance. And so what we end up doing, we won't let go of it. Now, part of it's good. We want justice and vengeance. That's okay. That's not bad. The problem is we haul this around in all our relationships. And you know what it ends up doing? It ends up just tying us to that evil act. And in time, it ends up destroying all our relationships because it's got a hold on us. We're still bound to that. And that has a current to poison all our other relationships. So what do we do? Well, I don't think what Jesus is talking about here is that God will turn us over to tortures like as in he sends us to hell. God's not a torturer. He doesn't, that's not what he wants. He actually is lovingly warning us that when we hold on to this, demanding justice, demanding vengeance, we're actually giving evil a foothold. Bitterness and unforgiveness is giving evil permission to torture us. And all you have to do is think about what happens. You get poked and prodded in your mind over and over to think about it and how much it hurt you and how much you hate it. And, and, and it jabs at you and it, it hurts you again and again and again. Right? We're just giving evil permission to torment us. And God doesn't want us bound to that. He wants to set us free. Now, the truth is we think it's going to punish that person, but it doesn't. It punishes us. Elizabeth was up late one night waiting for her son to come home. Uh, Ted, her son, was a freshman in college. He was working at the mall, and, and about 11 at night, she gets the call that every parent dreads, the call from the hospital. As it turns out that um, Ted had been in a car accident. Another college student had been driving drunk, blood alcohol level three times the legal limit. He had crossed the center line straight into Ted. The drunk driver only had a few minor bruises. Ted was dead. And so Elizabeth and Frank were devastated. They had lost their only son. Their only son had been ripped from their lives. And then, to make matters worse, this 23-year-old who killed their son, Tommy Pidgeage, was given probation. Elizabeth said she was inflamed with hatred and anger. She said it was like a wildfire sweeping down a dry canyon. It consumed every part of me. She kept replaying the mental video of that night in her mind like a horror movie over and over, picturing what happened. 
She ached for revenge. She fantasized about seeing Tommy Pidgeage walking on the road and running him down and pinning him with her car against a tree or against a wall and watching him suffer in anger, in, in agony. She even spent much of her physical time tracking Tommy to see if he violated her probation so she could get him. But over time, the toxic anger and unforgiveness ended up driving a wedge between her and her husband, almost to the point of divorce. She chased away all her friends because she had lost her ability to laugh and to enjoy life. She described it, she said, it was like a cancer eating away at my soul. You know, Nelson Mandela once said, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. And he had a lot to experience, right? So we need a brain to think about unforgiveness. What does it really do? It really poisons us. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt that person. And then we need a new heart. Just like Dorothy comes along, the tin man, and the tin man needed a new heart. But the truth is Dorothy needed a new heart. She needed a new heart toward those who had hurt her. And do we realize that that's what Jesus came to do, to make us new, to give us a new heart? It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this, this means anyone who's received God's forgiveness belongs to Christ and has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And the way this is phrased in the original language is all those old things that happened to you, all those things that were done in the past, they're gone. They're in the past, and God is bringing something new, and it keeps on getting new. He keeps on renewing it. This is the, 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 the picture. It's like he wants to set you free of the past, and he wants to keep bringing new things, and even the evil acts done to you, he can do something good out of them as a result if we're willing to turn to him with a soft heart and, and let him lead us. And so, so this is the thing we need to understand is that, you know, God wants to shape our hearts into something new if we're open to his leadership. But we have to be willing to move in his way. We have to let go of the hard-hearted way that tells us, make them pay. You demand that justice be done. Do not let them off. But again, that doesn't do anything to them. It only poisons us. It's like drinking poison and hoping it's going to hurt them. And you say, how, how can I do this, though? You don't understand what was done to me. You're right, but God does. And let me show you what he says. You want justice. You want vengeance. Look at what God says. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live with peace, at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God promises justice will be done. Justice will be done. Now the truth is, this side of eternity, most of the time justice is not done. But this is not the end of the story. And God promises that every single human will either pay for all their wrongs themselves and justice will be done that way, or they will see and admit that they've wronged God and each other. And by the way, we always wrong God before we ever wrong each other. And God will take his justice and pay for it on the cross of Christ so that they can actually grow to be people who don't keep giving in to evil and spreading it. 
And that's what he wants for you and me. That we don't keep getting manipulated by evil to spread more evil. Now, a couple of important points. Forgiveness does not mean to forget. Don't don't miss this. Forgive does not mean to forget. In other words, if, if, if your husband cheated on you or your wife cheated on you again and again and lied to you again and again, and you choose to forgive, that doesn't mean that you have to forget and immediately trust. If you decide you're going to keep that together, trust has to be rebuilt. Okay? That's a part of it. So you can forgive, but it doesn't mean you just immediately forget, and it doesn't mean trust doesn't have to be rebuilt. Forgive does not, does not mean you should not set up boundaries. If someone abused you or sexually abused you, and they have never repented and turned back to God and let God change them, they're probably not safe for you. You can forgive them, but it doesn't mean you have to be near them doesn't mean they're safe. Forgiveness is for you. So here's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I want justice. I want vengeance. And that's not bad. It's a part of the heart of God. But it's realizing that when I hold on to this, it's not hurting them and it's not ensuring justice and vengeance. It's ensuring I stay connected to this evil act that's going to poison all my relationships. And so what you need to do is say, God, give me a new heart to trust you. You have forgiven me my great debt, so much greater than anybody could ever owe me. I'm going to trust your justice, your vengeance in your time. I give the rope to you. And you put it in his hands. You let it go. You trust him with justice and with vengeance at his time. And then you say, God, heal my heart. Heal my heart. You know, unforgiveness of Tommy was poisoning Elizabeth's marriage. It was destroying her friendships. She desperately wanted help, but she didn't know where to turn. Until one day someone told her the story of of Jesus. And she started to realize that God understood because God lost his son to evil. And she started to see that that evil propagates through, through hurts and through unforgiveness. And she realized that she needed to be forgiven herself. And she needed to forgive. That she had to hand the rope of anger and punishment over into the hands of God and forgive Tommy Pidgeage to let go of her need to exact justice and vengeance And so she did. She went to him and she told Tommy, I forgive you. Now she admitted she didn't feel it at first. It was purely an act of obedience. But she said over time that bitterness began to let go in her heart and it began to change into more like pity where she saw that Tommy was was a broken, wounded boy being manipulated by evil. And that leads us to the third thing. We need courage to overcome evil. Just like Dorothy, you know, met the lion who who needed courage. We too need courage. We need spiritual courage to not only forgive those who hurt us, but do the rest of what Romans 12 says. Look at what it goes on to say. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So you can trust me with justice. You can trust me with all that. And now, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, now I know some of you are struggling with this. I know you, you, you've been saying you don't understand. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, can you explain the heaping burning hot coals on their head part? Because I think I can do that, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, let me explain what that means. Here's what that means. It means if you really want to get back at evil, you really want to punish evil, you got to understand that every human that does evil is a pawn being manipulated, but there is a real evil behind it. And you really want to punish evil, you repay your enemy or your spouse or that parent or that coworker with kindness. Because not only is it like keeping burning coals on the head of evil, it's like pouring water on the wicked witch. Evil can't stand, can't live in the presence of people who gain the spiritual courage to fight evil with kindness and goodness. It overcomes evil. It's the only thing that overcomes evil. So we have to ask God for the courage to overcome evil with good. Elizabeth and her husband found so much freedom in forgiveness and following the Lord that he began to build spiritual courage in their hearts, not only to see Tommy with pity as, as a, a young wounded boy who was being manipulated by evil, but they actually gained the courage to befriend him, to move in close to him and get to know him. And as a result of this friendship, they actually influenced Tommy. He began to see something supernatural in their lives, and as a result, he gave his heart to Jesus, and as Impossible as it sounds. Frank, the father, baptized the young man who killed his son. And when they came up out of the water, they hugged and both men cried. Signifying how God wipes away all of our wrongs. He cleanses us so that we can gain the spiritual courage from this new relationship with God to overcome evil with good. And do you know that Elizabeth and Frank ended up being there to celebrate Tommy's wedding? And after that, they would sit together, all four of them, Tommy and his new wife and Elizabeth and Frank in the front row in church and worship God together. Worship the God who forgives us that we might forgive and gives us the spiritual courage to overcome evil with good. So here's what I want you to do as this song plays. I want you to take this card and I want you to finish it. Maybe you haven't written anyone down yet, write them down. Do that grocery store test. What was the issue? And then it says, I will trust God by, to be just by. In other words, will you trust him to be just? And by when? Write a date down, by now? By tomorrow, by eternity, when? Can you trust that he'll be just? And then I will forgive and let it go by and put a date. And then down below, what will you do? So maybe, maybe you need time to go write an email to forgive. You know, maybe you need to go to that person. Maybe, uh, maybe it's something else, but write down what you're gonna do. So while the song plays, I want you to use this as a moment to just pray and talk to God and write, write something down on this card. And then I'm going to come up 
and I'll lead us in a closing prayer.